Wednesday, January 21st, and you're tuned in to The Arts Report. And have we got a show for you. Uh, we, the studio is packed, and why don't we go around and, and introduce ourselves. Rohit, I'll start with you. Hey, 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 uh, Rohit Joseph here, uh, another one of those hosts for The Arts Report. Uh, and I'm joined in with a bunch of awesome people. Uh, how about we go around? Hi, everyone. I'm Christine, Arts Report theater correspondent. Hey guys, it's Ashley again. I was missing last week, but I'm back in action. One of the other hosts at The Arts Report. Hey guys, my name is Jennifer Schwimmer. I am a CITR arts intern. And hello everyone, I'm Jacob Gershkovich, and I am also an arts intern. So it's a pretty exciting time for us at The Arts Report because we've got so many people contributing, and right now a lot of people um, sitting in, getting a feel for the show. So um, it's looking pretty good. Today we've got Three three interviews and a couple of giveaways if you stick around. Um, and, yeah, that's right. Well, um, this week, one thing uh, that, w- that we should mention off the top is um, prominent English-Canadian artist Ted Harrison passed away this week at the age of 88. Um, his website writes that his love of the land and the people of the Yukon have brought him national acclaim. His distinctive style of painting is both colorful and sophisticated, yet retains an innocent charm and appeals to young and old alike. He passed away at his home in Victoria. And from 2011, here is a clip of Ted talking about his paintings in his seriograph print collection. The only job they had left in the hall of the Yukon was, they said, it was in a little place called Carcross. And I said, has it got mountains? And they said, yeah, plenty of them. I said, right, I'm there. My primary medium is acrylic paint and uh, and I uh, I do most of my paintings in acrylics. Well, the idea of serigraphs came to me because I was given the idea. If I'm doing a serigraph, it's painted especially for a serigraph. My friend does the, the actual printing of the serigraphs, but when I'm designing a serigraph, I don't use as many colors, you know, there's a limit. I do the, the design and, uh, and then I send it to Michael. I will uh, correct a color or suggest a color or do something. And this has worked very well. Michael, he kind is, he gets into my way of doing it, and he can tell what he should do with the colours. I wish I could see more of Michael. He's an interesting person, and uh, he's a brilliant craftsman. You know, when he's working, uh, he's a perfectionist, and he does it right. And it's printed on the most expensive French-made paper, you know. A few artist proofs, and then you do more for, for selling, you know, for the public, and then you just cut them off. I keep the the, the paintings I've done for the prints, but uh, they have numbers on them and that, so they, they're not very pretty. Oh yeah, well, serigraphs, it's, it's a discipline. 
and uh, it's the nearest thing to a painting that an artist can do. Anything that I see with a cup of tea is worth going to see. <laughs> In November 2004, Frank Warren gave out 3,000 self-addressed postcards to strangers, prompting them to, um, prompting them to share their secrets. Since then, the site has grown to become the world's most visited ad-free website with almost 700 million visits. Post Secret has produced six books, an exhibit, uh, sorry, an exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art, and a stage production currently in its Canadian premiere at the Firehall Arts Centre until February 7th. The show stars Khalil Lashanti, one of the show's creators, as well as Nicole Natris and Ming Hudson. Ming now joins us over the phone. Hello, welcome, Ming. Hello, hi. How, uh, how is the show going so far? Uh, it's going wonderfully. We've just had um, two, our two previews, and we're just about to open, and I think we're, we're, ready, for, we're ready for the audiences to be there now. Definitely. Now, what, what can people expect as they come out to see Post Secret? So Post Secret definitely isn't your typical, like, theatrical stage production. Um, oftentimes, T.J. Daw, who is one of the creators of the show, he often sort of likens it to the vagina monologues in that it's sort of um, built entirely from community words, like um, all of the, the word, words you hear in the show are from either the postcards that have been sent into Frank or emails that have been sent to him or responses that people have written on the, the Facebook page or the site in response to the cards. So it's sort of a, yeah, it's, it's a bit more... It's not necessarily like a story as much as a, a voicing of secrets. How, how does the process change for you as you're adapting um, real words, uh, people's words and stories that they've sent in? Uh, does that give a sort of a poignancy uh, when you translate it to the stage? Yeah, it's really beautiful, actually, because um, as actors, you know, we're used to getting a script and then becoming a character, um, whereas with Post Secret, the show... It's more of we're ourselves and we're trying to find the bits of ourselves that the secrets reflect in us. So we never really become a character as much as find a different part of ourselves to say the, that specific secret, for example. Definitely. Yeah. Um, now you're, you're working with secrets. Frank Warren has he's said in his TED Talk that, um, that each of his book he, each of his books, he puts in one of his secrets and he, and he doesn't tell anybody. Um, what, what, what do you think that secrets kind of mean, mean for us? Um, what, like um, his secrets or just like everyone's secrets? I wouldn't say his, but just what, what role do secrets play in, in, in our lives? Well, I think that the secrets are really important in that... Um, in, You'll read something on the website, and um, no matter like every time you go to the website or every time you look at the book and you read all of these secrets, like there's always going to be something that touches you, because a lot of the secrets are secrets are quite universal, or sometimes a secret will trigger something in you that you didn't even know you were hiding away from yourself. So it allows you to sort of come in contact with that and and deal with that. Would you say that part of, um, part of the tangibility of it is that it, in, in 2015, the, these postcards that Frank Warren has collected are, are just a, a small artifact, a single kind of um, non-traceable thing? Is, is there a sort of a, is there something to that in this digital world where everything's collected? Yeah. Um... What do you? What do you exactly do you mean? 
I'm just wondering if, um, and perhaps it was is maybe too pointed of a question, but I, I wonder if um, the the format of of sending in these postcards is uh, it, it makes it more relevant, especially now when we're mm. so connected in in traceable ways online. Yeah, actually, it's so funny. Frank was mentioning that in his uh, talk back that he did after the preview today, in that like oftentimes people want to email Frank their secrets or or text Frank their secrets, and for him, it's really important um, to to get a physical a physical thing because um, each postcard that gets sent in, you know, that means a person sat down and took time out of their life to, to make the perfect postcard that represents their secret. And they've picked those words and taken the time to put that together and to physically put it in the mail and release their secrets into the world, I think is really important um, to Frank, especially that that, that process is there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it can, in these secrets, they, they run the gambit. So they, they go from hilarious to sort of very mundane to, to tragic. Um, mm. And, but I, can people expect a, a very a heavy show or, or is there a lot of light to it? Uh, yeah, it's very, it's exactly like um, how one of the books or the blog would be structured. Uh, I know for TJ, especially when, when he was putting together this particular script, it was important that, like you say, um, the audience has taken on that full range of emotion, the full gambit of feelings. Um, and yeah, it, it twists and turns from the happiest secret and everyone's laughing, and then the next secret might be something that's really touching. And so, yeah, expect a lot of emotional roller coasters in it. Uh, hi, Ming. I'm actually one of the co-hosts here on CITR, and I actually saw your show yesterday, uh, the premiere night, so that was really oh, exciting. Hi. Um, and I was actually fortunate enough to sit uh, right behind uh, Frank himself. Uh, oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just about to comment, um, speaking of the whole roller coaster emotion ride that you were mentioning, did you, did you find that, uh, did like the actors each receive like a proportionate amount of happy secrets or funny secrets versus uh, tragic secrets or like, how is that portioned out? I, I don't know if my impression was that some actors, some performers got more than the others. Like, uh, yeah. How, how did that work out with the script writing process? Well, I, I think that um, TJ tried to make everything pretty equal. Um, but it, I mean, it does, for example, Khalil, who's the only male in the cast um, for whatever reason, like his character has maybe less of the emotional secrets and more I of did the sort of that, like yeah. narrative, <laughs> or narrative of the show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like in that way, it's like, a, you know, he obviously doesn't have quite as much um, emotional, he doesn't have to reach right down into like his gut to get all those emotions. But I think TJ tried to make it pretty equal. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, speaking of which, uh, I, I think you you managed to do a pretty good job of actually reaching down into your gut and bringing those emotions out. Was it difficult to kind of like, because you had all these different secrets and did you uh, have a difficulty in trying to make them each unique, like in how you'd say it? Because it's, it's difficult because it's like each of them are a different individual, but Mm -hmm. at the same time you have to, you have to stay true to yourself, right? You, you were essentially using your own voice, your own, uh, your own, emotions and facial expressions but you're supposed to give life to i don't know what is it like 30 different people <laughs> like yeah yeah <laughs> it's like you have to be a chameleon in that sense um yeah it's it's funny because um like i mentioned earlier tj like really didn't want us to play characters and mm. so um yeah like i was often worried that i was not changing who i was enough uh, but I have been assured that that's not the case, so I really have to just trust TJ on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's just, I guess, like, each each secret sort of just touches a little bit of a different part of me, and, and I try and maybe access slightly different bits of myself for each secret, and, and hopefully that comes across um, clear, and that's that's what I hope, I guess. Oh, it definitely did, um, and thank you for uh, thank you for putting on an awesome show yesterday. It was a great way to open uh, in Vancouver. Well, 
Thank you so much for being there. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we'll actually have a podcast of uh, the Q&A session. So uh, feel free to tell people about that. And uh, yeah, um, I think, um, Jake, did you have any more things to discuss? Well, I just wanted to, yeah, thank you for, for coming on as well. And um, and just to let everyone know that that Post Secret is running at Firehall in, until February the 7th. Can I say something yeah. to you real quick? Oh, yeah. Ming? No, go ahead. Just to put you on the spot here, uh, in the spirit of Post Secret, could you give us a secret on air? Oof, okay. Yes, I can give you a secret on air. Uh, good one, good one. <laughs> a, go- a good one, okay. Um, let me think, let me think. Okay, you did really put me on the spot, but I can think of something. Uh, okay, so when I was eight years old, uh, I watched the poltergeist at uh, Sleepover, and which you should never do when you're eight. And um, to this day... I cannot sleep with my closet door closed because, <laughs> because I need to be able to see into the closet to make sure that nothing is going to come out and get me. Wow. <laughs> There's no shame in that, Ming. Is Sometimes you shouldn't watch a certain movie. <laughs> like, no, that one definitely stayed with me for, for a long time. Now, in, in the spirit of parody, just because uh, Jacob just put you on the spot, where I think we have to ask Jacob for a secret. <laughs> oh, I think, I think that we should. Can you please tell us a secret, Jacob? Yeah, actually, one just came up recently. Um, I was in a psychology class, and, and uh, psychology of animal behavior, and um, we were talking about garter snakes. And uh, I grew up in Vancouver and went to Salt Spring Island and saw these snakes all the time. And uh, so I was pretty stoked to be talking about these snakes finally. And the slide came on and uh, they were spelt G-A-R-T-E-R. And for my whole life, I thought that they were called gardener snakes, like like a gardener. So it was kind of this weird revelation. It's like, oh my God, I've been calling them gardener snakes for 24 years. (laughs) (laughs) So there's my secret. (laughs) Well, I know what. What about? I feel like we should all have a secret then. Now that uh, let's, <laughs> yeah. get a let's do a roundtable of secrets. Yeah. Per, perhaps we should, and there <laughs> there are five or six of us in the, in this room too. Maybe maybe throughout the show we'll pepper the rest of our show with secrets. So perfect. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. All right, Ming. Thanks very much for taking the time with us. And of and course, enjoy the thank rest you guys so much. And I just wanted to say too before I, um, you guys get on with your show that um, we also have pay what you can matinees on Wednesday at 1 p.m. for anyone who like maybe a full price ticket isn't uh, in their budget. So I just wanted to throw that out there for for you guys. That's great. We'll be sure to mention that uh, as well again on the on the show and on uh, Facebook. So thank you. Great. Well, thank you guys so much. All right. Good luck with the show. All right. Thank you for having me. No problem. Bye. In 2004, Frank Warren handed out 3,000 self-addressed postcards to strangers, prompting them to share their secrets. These postcards were collected on his blog, and now Post Secret has become a collaborative movement for millions of unheard voices. This January, Vancouver artists TJ Daw, Khalil Ashanti, and Justin Suds will help bring Post Secret to life as a visual auditory journey through the emotions of our inner life. With music from Mario Vaira and multimedia projection, Post Secret makes its Canadian premiere from January 20th to February 7th at the Firehall Centre in downtown Vancouver. For pricing, showtimes, and more information about Post Secret, the show, please visit firehallartscentre.ca. Friends of CITR card with incredible discounts in the UBC and Kitsilano area at Australian Boot Company, Banyan Books and Sound, the Bike Kitchen, The Cove, Dantry's Pub, Displace Hashery, Limelight Video, The Eatery, Fresh's Best Salsa, Gargoyle's Bar and Grill, Lotus Land Tattoo, Nuba Kitsilano, Prussian Music, Rufus's Guitar Shop, and the UBC Bookstore. 
find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or go online to citr.ca. tuned in to the arts report on citr 101.9 fm in vancouver and um our theater correspondent christine is here to tell us what's going on in the world of theater hi everyone well firstly thank you all for having me on the show today i'm here to talk about ubc theater's play the bakai as well as their feature-length film mercury falling so, the Bakai is pre- premiering tomorrow and will actually be running for about two weeks at the Freddie Wood Theatre. On, that's on campus at UBC? Yep, exactly. And tonight, we're actually going to be giving away some free tickets for the Bakai as well as Mercury Falling. Um, and for those of you guys who have never, ever heard of the play, it's actually originally written by the Greek playwright Euripides and is a Greek tragedy. It's been ap- adapted um, by a man named Charles Mee and centers around two men representing opposite sides of human nature. So there's the rational and civilized side, which is actually represented by the character Pentheus. And the opposite side, which is represented by a character named Dionysus, is the side of sensual behavior without analysis. And the whole theme of the play is really what happens when these two worlds collide. So I was I I didn't um, I recognized the Greek name, but I I wasn't able to actually look it up. And my guess was going to be I know that Alexander the Great had a horse named Bacchus or something like that. And it was spelled really similar. So I. I was on the right track, but I was in the wrong, wrong world. (laughs) (laughs) Very close, though. Very close. And actually, one of the things that I'm really excited for um, about this play is actually because the play is directed by um, somebody named Dennis Gupa. And Dennis has been around the world. When I was just researching a little bit about his background, uh, he's been a director in residence with um, the Mayi Theatre Company and has worked with National Asian American Theatre Company. And both of them are based in New York. Um, He's also been in Indonesia, um, you know, He's also been in Indonesia and studied something called mask dance, as well as having received his Master's of Arts in um, the Philippines. So he's really been all over the world and seeing what kind of um, take he'll do with a Greek tragedy like the Bakai is something I'm really looking forward to, as well as the main character, which is Dionysus, is played by um, Thomas Elms, who I've been following um, from the beginning of my theater correspondent career, and seeing him take on like one of these main character roles, um, I'm really excited for that as well. Um, so I got to meet up with Amy Strilchuk, the marketing and communications specialist for the Department of Theater and Film, and got a backstage look at the set and costume of the play. So, uh, what, what did you find out? Oh, well, <laughs> let me tell you, um, the set when I went to go see it was almost completely finished and the set is completely white which is really, really interesting because um, when, you're, when you are putting on a live play, the lighting is especially important. And having an all-white stage is something that's actually incredibly difficult because of how much the light reflects. And so um, it's not just a blank white stage, though. It's got um, really sharp geometrical f- structures all throughout the stage as well as um, it's got a kind of eth ethereal feel with mm-hmm. um, large white feathers in um, the left side of the stage. So just walking in right out, you really get a sense of modernity, which is ironic because it's an ancient Greek play for anybody who um, studies up on the Pakai beforehand. So I really, really like that and how striking it was to me. Um, in terms of the costumes, the costumes are um, the costume designer is actually Kiara Lawson, and she's definitely pushing a lot of the boundaries um, with some of these costumes, as they do um, show quite a bit of skin, um, especially Dionysus and his costume. Um, his is very flashy, lots of color, um, lots of different textures, and Pentheus, his kind of um, foil, uh, is 
you know, in stark business suits, really clean cut, um, clean cut clothes. Um, and so when I was talking with Amy about the play, she really did emphasize the fact that um, this is a pretty liberal play, one of the most liberal that um, UBC Theatre has done. And um, they have the given out warnings about uh, the explicit content in it. Um, so I'm kind of excited to see how they're, they are going to push the boundaries, but um, also make sure that they don't overdo it in at the same time. I, I know that uh, Dionysus, there there have there are instances of hundreds and hundreds of these statues of Dionysus with um, with a the you can find in ancient you know ancient world and a lot of uh, archaeologists have have uncovered them and he it's he's depicted with a very prominent phallus um we shall say yeah amy was actually telling me that there's a lot of phallic characters um throughout the play and you know it that is actually a very integral part to the original play itself and you know trying to water something down um to that extent isn't really keeping with the spirit of the play Mm -hmm. and as much as this is modernized i think they are going to try and take the spirit of the play and really make it relatable to the audience members and kind of also target a new group of people to come watch the play and especially because we are on a university campus i think this will have a great appeal to the students out there excellent Mm -hmm. and so we're giving away tickets to to that show is that Yes. So the opening premiere night is tomorrow at 7.30, um, Freddie Wood Theatre, and it'll be running until February 7th. Um, Curtains are at 7.30. Um, So I've got two tickets to give out for this play. Um, Do you want to take the lead in telling everybody how to sign up for these tickets? (laughs) Well, and I think everyone should get on this right away. But if if they want to win tickets, I think they should send us an email to arts at citr.ca. And and why don't you pick a, a subject header for us? So email us, and the subject header will be phallic characters. Phallic characters. <laughs> it, it'll. It, the only thing is, it might be hard to sort out all the other emails I get with the same subject. <laughs> header. Um, so so for a chance to win, um, email arts at skytr um, dot ca with the subject header phallic characters. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who are still planning to come see the play, but maybe don't get a chance to get these free tickets, um, just so you guys know, for students, UBC students, the tickets are only $11.50. And just for regular, it's $24. So if you are a student, please, please, please come out to see the play. Um, It's definitely going to be something you won't forget. Um, Now, I'm also going to do a quick introduction about Mercury Falling, which is uh, an original feature-length film by UBC Theatre and film students in collaboration with Tom Schultz and Bruce Sweeney. So there hasn't really been a lot about the film um, that has been released um, other than the fact that what this movie is going to be trying to do is strip all manner of artifice from the filmmaking process and free artists on both sides of camera. So you can definitely expect something that isn't going to be your typical um, typical plot s- structure. Um, it's been described by many cre- critics as, quote, raw, naked, and uncompromising, end quote. So it's definitely interesting. Um, I've actually also got two tickets to be giving out for Mercury Falling as well. Um, they are going to be screening next Monday and Tuesday at 7.30 at the Norm Theater, which is in the sub building. In the sub. Awesome. And so to to win tickets to that screening, email us, same email, arts at citr, citr.ca, uh, and with a new subject heading this time. Mercury Falling. Mercury Falling, <laughs> the name of the film. Perfect. Yes. Um, and j- just to uh, reiterate, for any of you guys who don't get a chance to get those free tickets, the tickets are only $10 each, and you can get those um, you can get those tickets online just by searching up UBC Mercury Falling. Excellent. Well, two exciting um, homegrown UBC productions coming up, so we'll definitely be following those and maybe... Maybe you can come back and tell us how, give us a review. Yes. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, 
said I climbed up the mountain, climbed back down again for you. I climbed up the mountain again for you, and then I climbed back down, climbed up. Oh, isn't there anything, 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 anything? Listening to the radio these days can be distressing. Fortunately, here at CITR, our programmers choose the music that they play, so our charts reflect what people actually listen to. To find out what's really topping the charts, pick up a copy of Beatroot or Discorder magazine, or check us out online at citr.ca. Unless, of course, you'd rather keep listening to the chart-topping single, Everybody Dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Everybody dance. Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? <laughs> Les Ballets Trocadero de Monte Carlo are a world-renowned all-male company bringing deliciously twisted program of classical ballet to Vancouver on January 24th at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. To talk about the performance, I have reached Svetlana Dvorsky, the president and executive producer of Show One Productions, who is putting on the show. Hi, welcome to mm-hmm. welcome to CITR. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, um, mm-hmm. tell me about uh, Les Ballets de Trocado, um, and please correct my pronunciation, but <laughs> Les Ballets Trocado de Monte Carlo. Well, you did very well. There is no reason to correct. Yes, that's that's how they called themselves, but actually the short version, uh, which also very well known, they are affectionately known as the Trocs. The trucks, that's and uh, that's that's how we can call them from now on. But uh, the full um, the full name, yes, that's Le Ballet de Monte Carlo. For those listeners who who might not know um, about the ballet world, what is what is notable about the trucks? Well, uh, basically, trucks they um, reserved a very special niche uh, that, uh, to my knowledge, no one else has entered at the same level as as this group. There are some companies around the world that try maybe to do the same thing, but nowhere near at the level that uh, Trocadero does. And this is, as we all know, it's an all-male ballet troupe, um, and they portray the male and female roles on stage. And, of course, it's a comedy, it's a parody, it's a travesty show, but all the dancers are major leading dancers from the world-renowned companies. They're amazing ballet dancers, very professional, very hard-working ballet dancers. So that's a combination um, that's the only company, really, where you find a combination of a very um, high-level uh, ballet dancers uh, also doing the parody and comedy on stage. So that's 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 a very unique Unique show and unique products, like really unique. And you mention you mention parody, but um, but there's also the highest level of performance. This isn't Absolutely. this is not me and my friends. Um, uh, no, in ballet, yes. <laughs> and not me and my friends either. No, no. <laughs> yeah. no. Each dancer has a pretty long history with uh, major companies around the world. Like I said, and there is many nationalities in the group, and uh, um, at some point there is a couple of Canadian guys, but I think they're they're no um, they're not with a company right now. But um, there is dancers from Argentina and Italy and France and United States, of course, and uh, Eastern Europe. So it's a very multi-national um, group as well. In 2008, you brought the trucks to Toronto for, mm-hmm. and that was um, for the first time in in a long time. Perhaps. That's right, but it wasn't the first time in Canada for them. They actually they performed in Canada just a year after they 
uh, were formed as a company, which was 1976. We just sort of collected those facts together for for one of the interviews. And yes, they performed in Toronto in 76. They performed in Vancouver in um, 35 years ago. I think it was also 76, yep. if my math is not uh, completely off. We'll go with it. Uh, right, thank you. <laughs> and uh, this performance in Vancouver is going to be 3,400 performance of the company. Wow. So that, that, that's kind of cool, yes. But I did bring them 2008 after, after a long break to Toronto, and then we did a run again in Toronto and Montreal. And uh, now we're going to be in Vancouver, which is extremely exciting. We, we always wanted to come to Vancouver. It's just, you know, many, many things has to happen in, in our business, in our world for, for things to work out. You know, the company schedule, the, the availabilities of the venue, the season, the competition, the, uh, many, many, many factors. And now we're very happy that finally it is happening. Excellent, and it sounds like an exhilarating show. What what will Vancouver audiences uh, be able to expect? Well, you know what's interesting, actually? I have been receiving some emails and phone calls from people who have seen the company 35 years ago, so they're overly excited. But, of course, the majority of the audience, they probably never seen them unless they saw them outside of Vancouver. The expectations... Um, I think, first of all, everyone who will be in the audience, they will be highly entertained and their mood will be elevated and they will be laughing at least for two hours. The performance is not completely removed from the classical ballet, especially, you know, they're showing the Swan Lake um, and uh, some modern works, Peridus and Paquito. So those are famous ballet works and uh, it's, just they will see a very high end performance, like I said, with with a twist and with a lot of different elements that they will never see anywhere else. I'm, I'm trying to avoid to answer straight to your question because I don't want to give the show away. You know, if I will describe a few elements, that's kind of giving giving all the secrets away. But uh, I think people really should just come and see it and, and enjoy it because they will get the best of the both worlds. Definitely. It sounds like an accessible show for um, for the trained ballet audience member and for Absolutely and, and for for, for absolutely and for people who never been to the ballet and for children as well. And um I seen and heard, you know, especially um you know, um from from the male perspective, um, male sometimes could be very you know tight and 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 rigid in their expectations. But uh, the show is built in such way that you know they make you relax um, sort of right away and just um, just relax into it and trust what's happening on stage. Definitely. Well, thanks very much for telling us about the performance and um, and best of luck with with the rest of your show one productions. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, and um, hope uh, we'll see a lot of you listeners on Saturday. This is my life. I I wake up in the morning, I eat, I sleep, I shit. Breakfast with the Browns. So whatever it is, but I never shut it off for five minutes. I can't wait to impress my friends with my astounding knowledge of cool. Join your favorite Brownsters and tune in and listen to the best selection of down-tempo electro-pop lounge core. Strictly Squaresville. Remember. Subtle. Basic. Breakfast with the Browns on CITR 101.9 FM every Monday morning from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. The older I get, the more life starts to make sense and the less I care.
Now we're riding the rainbow The clouds fit And we're making it Like young Now we're riding the rainbow The clouds fill And we're making it Like young you know, you can give a hundred examples of what it isn't, but you, man, you're going to have a hell of a time saying what it is. Science Week 2015 is a week-long celebration aimed at solidifying and fostering a sense of community and faculty pride. Free events will take place from January 19th to 23rd, providing students an opportunity to connect. Find more information on Facebook by searching for Science Week 2015. A man of average height got out of a black sedan holding a baseball bat. He approached a dark-haired woman, hit her in the head, then hit her again as she fell to the ground. He continued to beat her ribs, chest, legs, and face until she lost consciousness. He then hit her again, got into his car, and drove away. This is a scene from a video game played by millions. If we want violence against women to stop, shouldn't we stop treating it like a game? Join the conversation at hashtag not okay. Alright, you're tuned into the Arts Report, CITR 101.9 FM. And uh, earlier in the show, we started telling secrets, but as there is a post secret show currently playing at the Arts um, Fire Hall Arts Center. Now, what secrets have we got? Alright, I guess I'll go. I just remembered a funny moment. Well, I think it's a pretty funny moment from my childhood. Um, <clears throat> so, I uh, immigrated to Canada, to Vancouver, like. Uh, around 2001, and uh, uh, I went into my first uh, school, Osler, and I was still really fresh, you know, I was like in grade three at this time, and um, I didn't really know the lingo, Canadian lingo, and see, the thing is, this this turned out to be um, a bit problematic, because, you know, it's one of the first days in my class being there, and I go up to the teacher, and I'm like panicking, because I, I like didn't have this particular stationary item. I go up to her and I'm like, uh, teacher, can I please have a rubber? I, I need a rubber <laughs> right now. And I don't know what I could do because I got no rubbers in my backpack. And she's like, wait, wh- what? <laughs> like, a rubber. Don't you have a rubber? I see all the other kids with rubbers here. <laughs> like, I see a rubber right there on your desk. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, you mean an eraser. And then she just starts laughing and laughing. <laughs> and I thought she's laughing at me. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't have, I didn't prepare. I'm sorry. And she's like, no, no. <laughs> she's laughing even harder by, by this point. And I'm like, what did I do wrong? It's like, it's okay, just so you know, we call it erasers around here. <laughs> and she didn't even tell me what a rubber actually was. I had to find out, like, years later from my cousin <laughs> that, that rubbers are a slang for condoms. And that was, and yeah, that was, that's when I realized, wow. <laughs> it's important you learn what differences there are in the English language <laughs> from country to country. That's all I'll say. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've got one. It, it's not much of a secret. It, it's hard to follow that story, I think. I don't know if anyone can. But, um, That's a good story. But in the early days of, of Facebook, there was a time when I made a Facebook group. And you know how early days of Facebook, uh, people would make all these groups. Yeah. Like if, if 30,000 people join this group, I'm going to... Do something. Yeah, I'm going to live <laughs> on marshmallows for a week or something. Uh, <laughs> and so I made one just because I was you know, bored at home and probably wanted online attention or something. And I said, uh, if, if 20,000 people join this group, no, if 50,000 people join this group, I'm going to legally change my name to Voldemort. <laughs> and so, and so I, I joined the group and, um, and it, I it created it after a couple months, I got some traction and I got, I got this email from, um, uh, from Potterland, and they're like, we want to pick up the story, but we're only going to share it. Like we have like a hundred thousand people a day visit our website. So if we post this, <laughs> then you'll get it. And I was like, no, maybe not. I'm like, I'm do it. And, and then I, I got a, a, a Facebook message from the BBC. And, oh my um, goodness. And, well, they were like, 
we're going to do this show with Lily Allen. And if you're really going to change your name, get on this plane and like, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you over and everything. And I was like, whoa, I can't really do that. Like, I asked my mom and she says, she says no. <laughs> you actually thought about Baltimore for a moment there, didn't you? And, and years later, and that, that was the story forever. And years later, it came to light that that message was um, sent around the same time that my brother was going to film school and him and his film school buddies were like sending all these messages and pranks to each other and stuff. And it was just my brother the whole time. I never got contacted by the BBC. I was never going to do anything. It was just just a little group. So, oh, it's a, a secret I can share. Yeah, That's a good one too, man. Does anyone else have anything? I have a secret to share uh, about my childhood. Nice. Um, so I was living in Montreal with my family and my grandmother used to always bake me these cookies. And at the time, I pretended to like them, but they actually tasted like sand and dust. <laughs> so I would hide them in all these hidden places around my house. And one time, my grandmother came over and brought me these infamous cookies. And again, I needed a place to hide them. So I actually ended up putting them in my parents' fish tank, thinking that the fish would survive the impending cookie attack. And uh, yeah, about two hours later, all the fish died. And my parents really wanted to know what was up with that. So I actually put the blame on my neighbor, Thomas. And Thomas was grounded for about two months after that and not really allowed to come into our house. So if Thomas is listening... My deepest apologies. Someone think, had to take the heat for that one. I, I think you should have blamed the cookies. Like, they were clearly so bad. <laughs> but you see, the if shit. the cookies were actually made of sand like I thought they were, then they would have actually aided the habitat of the fish. So right. it was a difference in taste. Well, you go with the neighbors, then. Uh, that was awesome. Um, let's see. My stories. Um, I did a lot of, like, uh, crazy stuff when I was a kid. I still do them right now, I guess. Thank you, right? And one time when I was a kid, I decided it'd be really, really cool to sneak into my elementary school at nighttime. Ooh. So I, I did do that. It was like under like darkness. My mom and dad didn't know. They were like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with a friend. But I was like, no, I'm going to be the first kid who actually, who's, who's like going to sneak into the school <laughs> and you know, brag to all my friends that I snuck in. So I did sneak in because it's like a really small community, kind of like little school in like the woods somewhere. And I, I snuck in, and I was like, I was feeling like this badass kid. Like, yes, I did it. That's great. Then I forget that security exists. So I saw <laughs> lights flashing in the hallway, oh. and I was like, oh, shit, they're going to catch me, and then get, like, super grounded. So I thought, okay, what's the closest room? Let's hide in it. So I go into the room on the side. I'm just like, okay, hide. Make yourself look small. Maybe they won't notice you. But I was wrong. And the light came into the room, and then they caught me. And then the guy was like, what? Why are you doing in, like, why are you doing here, first of all? But why are you in the boys' washroom? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, then I didn't know what to say. So I was like, oh, I'm sorry. That's the girls' washroom. (laughs) 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 And to this day, they they felt really bad for me because they thought maybe I had to go. And then they're like, do you need to, do you want me to show you where the girls' washroom is? Like, no, I don't need to go. It's totally fine. I, I just got lost here. And they're like, okay. Okay, you go, you go now because I'm still a little girl, so they're not going to be, like, really mean to me. But, man, no one knows about that until now, I guess. And now, and now everyone knows. <laughs> well, uh, we'll just do a little bit of roundup. Maybe we'll go around the room and we'll each say a couple of arts that are happening this week. Um, I, did, I don't know if anyone signed up for Rio or I can just... Uh, yeah, go, go for Rio. Well, at the Rio tomorrow, uh, the Rio revisits two relevant and timely classics that explore similar themes of personal freedom and artistic expression from two very different perspectives, but both set in Nazi-controlled Germany. Charlie Chaplin's iconic satire, The Great Dictator, and Bob Fosse's musical masterpiece, Cabaret, starring Liza Minnelli and Joel Grey, in their Oscar-winning roles, make up this double bill tomorrow at the Rio. The Rio, which has a new sign. Mm-hmm. Beautiful sign. And uh, you can also check out the Veda String Quartet, uh, presented by Veda Chamber Music at West Point Gray United Church. Uh, if you want to check this event out, uh, it's 2 p.m. On, on the 22nd, and it's uh, $15.00. Uh, 8 p.m. on the 23rd, it's $28 for adults then and $23 for seniors. And if you're a student, you get a special discount at $12.
another thing you can check out is the President's Faculty Lecture, which uh, does discussions and performance featuring the SFU graduate and liberal studies director and world lit professor Sasha Colby. Her free public discussion and performance of literary pages, public stages, tales, and dramatizing research takes place on January 22nd at 7 p.m. at Harbor Center. Um, One Day Pina Asked is a film directed by Chantal Ackerman that explores the world of the revered late choreography Pina Bausch and her company during a month-long tour. This film is screening for free at Woodward's at 5.30 tomorrow, uh, along with a short film surrounding the local dance company 605 Collective, which they filmed inside the iconic Rogers Sugar Factory uh, in Vancouver. It's a free event at 5.30, it's one hour long, and um, and it's at the SFU Woodward's building on the third floor, and I definitely recommend this. I saw just a clip of the 605 Collective short film, and it looks really cool. And I don't, I've personally always wanted to explore the Rogers Sugar Factory. Um, yeah, that's an there. iconic building in Vancouver. Actually, yeah, Jen, we used to... Uh, both work at uh, the Vancouver Lookout, and that's a building you'd always like pass by on the way to work, and and it's actually also mentioned, I think, in one of the plaques on the Lookout. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, I never mentioned it in my tours. No, However, it is do. a beautiful place. To it's visit, a cool little place. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to throw that in there, <laughs> some tourism information. <laughs> um, by the way, on the twenty third. Uh, we have our 35th Vancouver Turkish Film Festival. It's, uh, sorry, it's the 23rd to the 35th. So oh. Uh, 20, 30, 35th. 35 <laughs> yeah. days in this movie? Oh, 23rd to the 25th. To the 25th. My, oh, to the 25th. Okay. <laughs> I wrote that up. My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so 23rd to the 25th. Uh, we got our Vancouver Turkish Film Festival happening at the Van City Theater. Uh, the VTFF, as it's also known, will not only constitute an international stage for filmmakers to showcase their works but also act as a platform to further the bridge uh, to further bridge the Turkish Canadian artistic gap so uh, if you'd like to check out the film festival the Turkish film festival you can get three film passes for twenty four dollars also on the 23rd we have the Cuban legend Geraldo Alfonso live in concert um, it happens this Friday uh, January 23rd 8 p.m. don't miss it Ukrainian Cultural Center as well, this Saturday, January 25th at 2 p.m., we have In Conversation with Kathleen Ritter and Guillermo Trejo with Kimberly Phillip. Access Gallery is committed to con- contributing to critical discourse about and within contemporary art in Vancouver and linking artists of different generations to one another and to the wider community. So you guys can join Access Gallery director and curator Kimberly Phillips as she speaks to exhibiting artists Kathleen Ritter and Guillermo Trejo visiting from Paris and Ottawa about opacity, longing, and the power of political image. And this Sunday, we have the Kitsilano Classic Concert Series. The Kits Classic Concert Series continues its 17th season with music by Beethoven and Gould, performed by cellist Marina Hasselberg, pianist pianist Monica Pfau, sorry, Monica, I probably pronounced that wrong, and clarinetist Johanna Hauser. And that's Sunday, January 25th at 4 o'clock p.m. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in this week to the Arts Report. We've got uh, one interview that's probably going to go a little bit over um, this. Well, tomorrow, there's the um, fifth five-year anniversary party at Fortune Sound Club. So uh, I I did an interview with that, sitting down with the owners of Fortune Sound Club yesterday. Um, Does anyone have anything else they want to say to the people? Uh. I just want to say, uh, if you keep on staying tuned to the Arts Report, you're going to be seeing lots of changes because we got lots of new faces, lots of new people coming on board. So uh, it's an exciting time. And uh, if you also want to be a part of the Arts Report, maybe come in, do a little review. Uh, we're real casual here. We're real friendly folks. So uh, just email us at uh, arts at citr.ca email or just contact us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us uh just on our Facebook page, which is Arts Report on CITR 101.9. And uh, feel free to let us know if you want to contribute something or if you have an idea for a story. Definitely. And don't forget that we do have a ticket giveaway right now. So send us an email um, with, and win a pair of tickets to either um, the... Bakai. Bakai, the yeah. play, or... And Mercury Falling. Mercury Falling. Great. Um, all right. Here is the interview with uh, G-Man and Risk of Fortune Sound Club. Thank you. 
On Thursday, January 22nd, Fortune Sound Club celebrates its fifth year in business. Situated in East Pender Street in historic Chinatown, Fortune sets itself aside from the entertainment district in Granville and shows a commitment to the revitalization of the Chinatown area. Yesterday, I sat down with Fortune owners Garrett Louie and Rob Risk to talk about their historic building, their achievements in five years, and their dedication to the Chinatown area. space was pretty raw. It was like low ceilings. Um, it was pretty beat up. There's a lot of work that we did to it. It took us nine months to kind of like uh, build out and, and create. And in that time process, we were, you know, getting the business plan together um, and just figuring out exactly what our focus was, which was mainly music and sound. And, you know, the conversation I had with Garrett when I first told him how much the cost of the sound system was, he was like, oh man, that's like, that's a lot. Like that takes all, all our budget out. And I was like, well, this is the way we have to do it. This is what we're going to set ourselves apart from everybody else. And we have to focus on the quality of sound because nobody was doing it in Vancouver. And I don't think anyone really did it in Canada. Yeah. So we were one of the first people to have a Function One sound system. The one thing about Fortune is... We're not quite a club, you know, we're, uh, we're kind of more of a venue space. We do have the middle room project space that we've done tons of art shows, we've done fashion shows, we've done fanzine shows, fundraisers. Um, Turn the club into a theater. We've had movie premieres, we've had um, stiletto fit classes, we've had the tight club do workout classes and things. So, I mean, it's kind of nice just to be able to utilize the room as more than just a club venue. Oh, we've done pop-up shops, we've yeah, done like a flea vintage market. flea market type shops in there, barber contests. Yeah. I mean, we've done some pretty random things, you know, so that's, that's been pretty nice to add that little The yeah, first half party turned it into a sumo wrestling kind of, <laughs> <laughs> a sumo wrestling kind of match. We had mats on the floor and a big gong and stuff. It was actually pretty funny. There was nothing in Chinatown before we moved in. You know, you have to understand probably six, almost seven years ago when we were planning this, there was no Bao Bay, there was no Kiefer Bar. We were on a third floor of a building. There would be zero walk-by traffic. Yeah. So at the time, when you're investing all the money that you've made for that many years into something, you know, it, there was definitely a little bit of a risk. You know, you're, you know, what if people don't show up? Like zero walk-by traffic at all. As Rob said, we put the money into the sound system and we kind of went a different route than what G-Man and Risk were promoting because we went from uh, a thousand person, probably getting 2,000 people up to uh, through a club night, which you're going a little bit more mainstream at that time to not even putting that tag, the G-Man and Risk, on anything that we were doing, creating fortune as its own entity and pretty much going almost exclusively underground with zero commercial music at all for sure but we kind of that was that was what was in our hearts you know because that's where we come from you know like rob came from a b-boy background he was djing for 15 years really into all types of music the rare groove the soul the funk and house music and then for me i grew up with punk rock music before skateboarding and into more underground music as well dj for 15 years as well so we were able to finally do something that was our passion and all the other all the other promoting gigs we had a lot of great times during that time but this was like exactly what we wanted to do would you have wanted fortune to happen on the granville strip or are you looking for like the, the anti-granville or the anti we were never like really anti we were always like okay what do we love yeah. and what uh, it's just going to show if we just kind of put our heart into it and our passion into it and most of our friends knew that about us, that we are pretty diverse in kind of just our musical flavor. And we come kind of from a, a cultural underground kind of energy and vibe. Hmm. And uh, we just wanted to, you know, really take that chance to kind of promote that again and kind of revitalize and kind of like, you know, just remind people that it's not, it was never about, you know, 
drinking and like making so much money off the bar it was kind of like always for us is like creating a cool and, and fun atmosphere and having control of the service and you know just kind of control of uh, just uh, the arts in a sense and we just like between Garrett and I and you know my weaknesses being his strengths and his weaknesses being my strength it was just like it's we we got a chance to kind of like showcase it and at fortune yeah it, it was well. I think in hindsight not moving to Granville was definitely the right move but at the time you have to understand the city was really promoting Granville Street as the club district yeah. and it seemed at the time that all you had to really do is just open your doors barely even promote and you will get maybe a couple hundred few hundred people regardless of what you do so you're kind of thinking well if I promoted and added something to that man that could be easy you could be busy all days during the week and at the time it, it definitely was risky as I said because nothing was around us but now we realize like yeah for sure we made the right move and did the right thing because if we did something more commercial in that space I'm not sure if it would really work you know since 2009 when you opened up you well you've since bought the building and um, working towards kind of the, some of the historical reproductions and, and restorations how's that coming um it was a lot of fun um dealing with the the architect that uh, helped us uh, kind of uh, you know dig up some old photos yeah. and we went through a couple of different renditions and presented it to the city and the city you know was comfortable with what we uh, you know um, had planned for it and that restoration part's been like a fun process but also you know a costly one on a financial yeah. uh, side of things but uh, it's definitely rewarding it's kind of like bringing like soul and a vibe back to the building it's uh, that it was kind of lost it was the building was kind of left alone to kind of rot away a little bit mm-hmm. so when we uh, got it and bought it with our partner Garrett, uh, Gary from Livestock and uh, NLA which is another company that Garrett and his dad and our other partners are involved with that was kind of you know the goal was to make the building look you know appealing and attractive and maybe inspire other people on the block to kind of do the same thing yeah like I still have the vision of Ming's restaurant back in the 60s of Chinatown and, and the old cars I think I googled it one day you can find it online, but um, Chinatown back in 1960s Vancouver, it, it was, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it looked like Las Vegas, you know, like neon yeah. signs everywhere. It was pretty busy, old school cars down the road. And, you know, my, me being of Chinese Canadian background, like I used to go down there with my family and we used to eat at Chinese restaurants down there. Yeah. Is the restoration of, uh, well, not the restoration, but the reinvigoration of the Chinatown area, is that part of what you're most proud of with with Fortune? I don't know if it would be the most proud of. Obviously, it wasn't just me and Garrett. You know, of course, it was our vision, but I think the the staff and all the employees that we hired, they really believed in our dream and kind of followed suit with us to stay true to what we believe in and our vision you know, over the last five years and not waver too much is really the thing that I, I would say that uh, I'm definitely most uh, proud of and being able to adapt to kind of the changing times because uh, music has a way of just always changing and new genres and uh, new kind of scenes coming up. So trying to be, you know, up on that and being aware of what's happening and adapt to the, to the changes that are happening because they're constantly kind of around us. Yeah, yeah like I, I didn't think Chinatown would blow up the way that it did, to be honest, when we went there. And I think we were the ones that took the risk on it. And then once we were successful, it, it kind of made people think, oh, okay, well, yes, I can go here. But there wasn't a lot of other places for people to grow, you know, in Vancouver. Yeah. Gas was getting really expensive. And yeah, I mean, I think as Rob said, just you're in the mix so hard and like I think owning a club is definitely really really hard I'll say that with all the businesses that that we're involved with it's it's super hard to keep up to everything and keep the club hot you know after five years five years and club years is like dog years you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) so you know and and then I, I get psyched on the stuff that we had within the last five years that was you know, maybe fit our room at the time, like Grimes, 
or um, Foster Domus or Mac Miller, Aloe Black, Wiz Khalifa that are now you know filling stadiums. You know what I mean? So that that's always pretty cool. Like oh man, I, they played our room you know way back then and yeah, J Cole. J. Cole, like we've had some pretty, I mean, that's the cool thing is that we're, we're taking risks on breaking artists and at that time, you're not sure all the time and sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some, but you have to take chances and we have a great talent buying team and sometimes it's our bucket list where we're saying, hey, go search this guy, like we really like this or that um, and then all of a sudden, you know, three years later they blow up and they're playing stadiums and they're beyond our room, but it's always nice to know that, hey, that, that's cool. They, they, were, they were a fortune, you know? Right on. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks a lot. It was really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the time, too. Yeah. Um, making your way out here, too. If I knew you were taking a, a train and a bus, I would have just picked you up. CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. This is UBC Arts on Air. I'm your host, Ira Nadell. Each week we feature the ideas and stories of students and staff within the Faculty of Arts at the University of British Columbia. Wikipedia has been an internet institution for more than a decade, a resource of value for some, of misunderstanding for others. This evening on UBC Arts on Air, we talk to Alex Sarah Davis, an honors English student completing a study of this sometimes controversial, always newsworthy encyclopedia that has both supporters and critics. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, what exactly attracted you to Wikipedia as a subject? Well, you know, I've always been very interested in rhetoric, and one of the things that rhetoric likes